Hey, good morning, New City. So good to be with you. Uh, my name is Ben Harris. I'm the pastor here at New City. Um, guys, I just want to say once again, maybe you've grown tired of, of hearing it, but I have not grown tired of saying it. Um, I miss you guys so much. Uh, I love you guys so much, and I cannot wait to get back together just in person. Um, we are super, super excited that God has provided a place for us to begin to gather together for worship. Um, hopefully you saw that announcement. If you haven't, we are shifting to Saturdays uh, on a temporary time frame. We're super appreciative to Covenant Church, our sending church, who's opened up their fellowship hall. And uh, Saturdays at 6 o'clock, beginning on June 6th, we're going to finally be able to, to get together. Um, this week I had a Zoom call with a lot of our leaders at New City and we were just at the time brainstorming just ways to be safe and ways to be able to reopen and, and just wrestling with some of those questions. And I was sharing with them at the time that um, doing this, preaching to the camera, you know, it has its challenges. I was just describing what that was like. And one of the great suggestions that they came up with is that we ought to add a laugh track onto the sermons while we continue to do the live stream. So we're going to see if we can't Obviously, we're not going to do that, but I just thought that was a hilarious idea. So thanks to whoever it was that came up with that idea. Um, but in the meantime, we've got a couple more weeks that we're doing this live stream thing. Uh, we'll continue the live stream after we get back together for all of those that uh, need to stay home for whatever reason. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing you guys soon. Uh, we are continuing in a series that we began several weeks back called Home Isn't Canceled. And the idea behind that, we talk about... Uh, pursuing gospel nearness in a socially distant world. And the idea behind that really is that in our families, in our households, really in any relationship, that God has given us the good news of the gospel uh, for one reason, and that is to be able to apply the truth of the gospel to every part of our relationships, in particular with our family, but certainly not limited to. And as we've been able to spend just a ton of unexpected and extra time with those that we live with, uh, even over these last couple months, that the gospel speaks into those those relationships. Um, today's message, as we get back to this series, is called Fighting Fair. And it's really all about how to do conflict resolution from the scriptures and from the good news of the gospel. So let's jump right into, if you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the book of Galatians chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading this morning from verses 11 all the way to 16. So grab Galatians chapter 2. Let's take a, word, a look at the word this morning. The scripture says this beginning in verse 11, but when Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, by the way, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
Let's take a moment and let's just open in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. And Father, we pray that we might be able to apply it to our lives this morning. We thank you for the good news of Jesus, that he has made a way to restore our relationship with you, Heavenly Father, despite our sin and our brokenness. And we pray that we might be able to play that, apply that same reality to our relationships here on earth this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as you guys know, this Monday upcoming is a very special day in the United States. It's Memorial Day. And I just want to take a second and say that we are so thankful, so appreciative of every single man and woman who in serving in the U.S. Armed Forces has laid down their life, sacrificed themselves uh, in fighting for our freedom and for our safety. You know, Memorial Day reminds us um, of the unfortunate necessity of war sometimes and that the good guys have to step up sometimes into difficult situations, even life-threatening situations. 200 plus years ago, Edmund Burke made a really important statement. He said the only thing uh, necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. You know, war War is a terrible, awful thing. Whether it's a, a conflict with guns or, or with jets or with ships or whatever it may be. But we also know that another type of conflict is awful and that is the conflict of bitterness and angry words that so often can tear apart uh, one part of the family or another. Uh, maybe your household, even over these last couple months, has felt a little bit like a World War III kind of an experience. Um, and you may feel like even in just reading that scripture that, that two Jewish guys who are arguing about eating and what they should or should not eat with Gentiles doesn't have a whole lot to do with the way that you fight with your spouse or the way that you fight with your children. Um, but I think that if we're honest, that fighting is a pretty universal experience that we all have struggled and how to do that well. Um, and thankfully, Galatians here has a lot to teach us about how to fight fair uh, in any relationship. And what scripture is going to tell us this morning is how we begin to move forward in resolving conflict in a gospel-centered way. Now, as we look into the scripture, the first thing I want to do is just take a minute to understand a little bit about the, the conflict that's going on here between Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians and is describing this, and Cephas or, or Peter. What is it that's taking place? Paul writes initially, he says, I opposed Peter to his face. And you can imagine the awkwardness of this situation as angry words start flying at a church gathering as they're gathered around potluck that day at church. Um, but this argument is an important argument. It's one that began as the early church was suddenly, by God's grace, growing outside of just Jerusalem and growing ethnically outside of just Jewish people going all over the world. And so many Gentiles, and Gentile just literally means somebody who's not Jewish in ancestry, and many Gentiles were coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so many Jewish Christians, though, at the same time, were continuing in their traditional practices of worship, things that they had learned throughout the Old Testament. But now we've got Gentiles who have no commitment to these different Jewish customs. You know, and so the Gentiles are basically saying, listen, we are all set without circumcision and we're all set without giving up things like bacon. Um, so the very real question then becomes, as Jews and Gentiles come together in Christ, it is the relational, the fellowship part of it. How, who gets a, a seat at the dinner table? And if you think about the table and table fellowship, um, truly who we are willing to eat with 
says a lot about the kind of people that we are. Um, And so these issues that are arising within the church first begin to take shape in the city of Antioch, which is where this disagreement is ultimately going to go down. So this is where disciples of Jesus, the city of Antioch, is this place where the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians, first identified with the name of Jesus. And this is the first place now that the early church has to work through the reality of Jews and Gentiles coming together and trying to be one family, one literal church. And so in this now multicultural melting pot that that maybe the Jews in particular just weren't really ready for, but God has brought together, you're seeing that there's already cultural tensions. There's already actual race issues that are developing because they don't understand yet how to apply the gospel fully. But here's the deal. God has already revealed his radical gospel solution to Peter. And he revealed it in a vision that happened earlier in Acts chapter 10. It says in Acts chapter 10 that the heavens opened up and a sheet actually came down. And on that sheet were all kinds of animals that Jews up to that point had not been allowed to eat. And in this vision that Peter is experiencing, the voice of God speaks to Peter and says, eat. Peter replies to God in this vision. He says, I've never eaten anything unclean. Why would I start now? But God says to Peter in this moment, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And Peter's beginning to understand the message that God has for him here. And so at the end of this vision, God introduces Peter to a man named Cornelius, a Gentile who is hungry to hear the good news of the gospel. And so Peter, out of this vision, shares the good news of the gospel, probably for the first time, with a Gentile. And Cornelius believes and Cornelius is saved. And so Peter gives kind of a summary statement as he's reporting back to the rest of the disciples and the apostles what he's learned in Acts chapter 11, verse 17. Take a look at what Peter himself says. He says, if then God gave the same gift to them, meaning the Gentiles, as he gave to us, meaning the Jews, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? But then, Then some legalistic Jewish teachers begin to show up. And these are guys from Jerusalem and they're guys who are actually associated with James, the brother of Jesus. And so they come and they bring this authority. They're not speaking from truth, but people have a a difficult time knowing what to do with what they're saying. And they begin to reimpose these same Jewish traditions on these Gentile believers. Now, Peter had already understood the truth from God, and he had already begun to correctly just embrace fellowship and and table fellowship with these Gentile believers. But when these guys called the Judaizers show up, uh, Peter began to back away. He began to back away from his brothers and sisters in Christ. And herein lies the problem. Peter acted like a coward. He didn't have the courage to defend the gospel and to defend these fellow believers. See, here's the reality for us, guys. When the fear of people overcomes the fear of God, we are very likely to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Peter did was he led other believers astray into this same hypocrisy. See, Paul knew 
Paul knew then that he could not retreat from the hypocrisy that he's seeing going on in the church of Jesus Christ. But he also knew he couldn't just go in attacking. He had to seek for reconciliation. And he wanted to see the church restored as one true family in Christ and to see the truth of the gospel lifted up and communicated. So with that background, that understanding of what's going on between Paul and what's going on between Peter, let's look uh, to apply this to ourselves. So we're going we're gonna to see three applications now for fighting fair that we get in Galatians chapter 2. And they are as follows. Number one, face the conflict without attacking or retreating. Number two, check that your heart motivation is not self-defense, but rather gospel defense. And number three, remember that Jesus reconciled our relationship to God by the gospel. Let's take a look here. Number one, face the conflict without attacking or retreating. Look again at Galatians 2 and verse 11. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I want you to see here, it's really, really important, Paul addressed Peter directly. The scripture says to his face. So biblically fighting fair begins with this idea of being honest and being direct about an issue. Another way to put this would be to attack the problem, but not the person. Paul says that Peter stood condemned, literally. And and you may wonder, what does that mean? Uh, To be stood condemned here, it means that Uh, Peter was clearly in the wrong is the literal translation of that Greek there. So what you want to see though is this. Paul didn't go behind Peter's back. Paul didn't gossip. Um, Some of us have a really big problem dealing with conflict by talking to everybody else in our phone except for the person that we're actually angry with and the person that we actually have a problem with. You know, you, I want you to see here too, Paul wasn't passive aggressive and he didn't sulk. He didn't shut down. Um, you know, some of us are just imagining maybe in this moment, you're picturing what would it be like to actually address conflict with that person that I'm struggling with. And you're just feeling the awkwardness of having to actually talk to them is so much you are melting in your chair at this very moment. And I think we live in a culture where for the most part, we have no idea what it looks like to actually go to someone and kindly say, we've got a problem. We need to talk about it. But the scripture calls us to something better. Look also, see, Paul was factual and he was specific when he brought this concern. Look at verses 12 and 13. Factual and specific. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So what you see is he identified the issues clearly. He affirmed Peter's godly actions in the past, which is huge. Rather than bringing up the past and the things that he hasn't forgiven him about or bringing up outside issues that have nothing to do with the actual discussion, he affirmed what Peter did in the past and he stuck to the relevant facts. You know, many of us get into conversations just wanting to bring up every wrong thing that that person has ever done in the past rather than wanting to talk about what is actually going on with with an eye towards reconciliation. 
I want you to also see not only did Paul address it directly, what's striking here is that Paul addressed it publicly. And he did that, the scripture says, because Peter had led them all astray publicly. You may look at that and you go, okay, so, but seriously, why is it necessary for Paul to call out Peter publicly? And I think the issue lies in this word hypocrisy. Their actions were not consistent with the gospel that they believed. To put it another way that we've heard said before, they were talking the talk, but they were not walking the walk. Peter was pressuring Gentile believers to follow rules that Jesus has already said do not any longer apply. Now, as we think about ourselves, I think what's really important here is is the gospel principle of if you sin publicly, you've got to be willing to apologize and repent publicly. We get that exact principle from 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 20. Um, I want to tell you in my own life, I had to learn this gospel principle as a first year teacher when my mentor teacher, Eric Axum, lived this out for me and taught me what this looked like. And the reality that he brought to me was this. If I ever lost my temper and ripped a kid's head off in class, which I obviously never did. But if I were to do so, that the idea from scripture here is if I am sinning against this child publicly, that I ought to be willing to then go back in front of that same class of kids and apologize publicly and own it publicly and repent publicly. Because the temptation is this, and we often find this to be the case, is that we use our position of authority to get out of somehow taking responsibility. And so whether that's in a job or you're in some sort of a leadership role, maybe that's just in your family as a parent or in your marriage, whatever the situation may be. But if you uh, uh, offend someone publicly, that you would be willing to then go back in front of those same people that saw it take place and say, listen, I'm sorry for what I did. And I just want to ask for your forgiveness and let you know that I'm going to do my very best to not do that to you again in the future. Paul handled it publicly. But he handled it publicly also because it affected everyone. Peter was acting like they had to follow a set of rules that Jesus said didn't apply. And this is a warning for us guys as the church that our behavior can sometimes undermine the belief that we hold so dear. So God, would you forgive us? Father, forgive us for those moments when we distract people from the gospel or we undermine the message of the gospel that salvation is a free gift from God the Father that is accomplished by Jesus Christ dying on the cross to save us from our sins. Forgive us for anything that we might have said or done that damages that message. You know, about 30 plus years ago, Brennan Manning said this, the greatest single cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. He said this 30 plus years ago, but if you think about, man, more than ever, how does that apply to us today? But I got a personal question for you now. I want you to think about just in your own heart and life, when it comes to conflict and fighting, are you one of these two categories? Or do you see one of these emerge in you? Are you an attacker or are you a retreater when it comes to conflict that you experience in your own life? Think about the attackers. Attackers tend to do it this way, right? You deal with your anger by venting. You argue your case passionately and you want to fight until the fight is over. 
winning the argument for you oftentimes becomes more important than actually winning the person. Or maybe you tend to be more of a retreater and you deal with anger by suppressing it or burying it. And you have opinions, but you keep them to yourself in order to keep the peace. And you ask questions like, do we have to talk about this now? You would rather avoid a fight than be in one or even win one. You'd rather just avoid it. And you sometimes say, you know, I just need some space. I need a break. Can we talk about this tomorrow? You know, those lists actually come from a Bible study called Gospel-Centered Life that I would encourage all of you on your own or in your family, even in your small group, to take a look at. And what I would encourage you even today is to ask yourself that question. In the arguments, in the tensions that I find myself in, do I tend to be more of the attacker or more the retreater? And if you're married, I'm going to ask you to take an extra step and ask your spouse, which do they think that you are? It's one thing to say, this is who I think I am, but sometimes we learn a lot about ourselves when we ask that other person, who do you see uh, that I am? Or how do I actually treat you? Um, I've actually included that whole chapter in this week's applications uh, questions that I sent out to you. And I would encourage you on your own, or again, maybe as a family or as a group, pull those questions out and dig a little deeper and wrestle with where does my heart tend to fall so that you can understand how then to apply the gospel. See, because whether you're a, a retreater or an attacker, these are both natural, normal ways to engage conflict, but they both on their own are missing the gospel. How do you handle conflicts in your marriage, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your parents? And that can be if you are still a child at home or if you are an adult, how do you handle conflict with your parents? That can be with a friend. That can even be with an ex. How do you handle conflict? Does the gospel come into it? And I just want to remind us, the gospel gives us two ways, uh, not three. The gospel says you can face it and you can forgive it. Or you can even just up front say, I'm going to let it go and forgive it again. But there is not a third option, right? Where you say, I refuse to face it and I refuse to forgive it. I refuse to let it go. I'm just going to sit and stew on it. There is no third option. Galatians chapter two says, face the problem without attacking or retreating. Next, it's going to give us this. Number two, Check your heart motivation. Check that your heart motivation is not self-defense, but rather gospel defense. Look at chapter two, verse 14, just the, the first half of verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, Paul was not out for his own defense, but rather for the defense of the gospel. Are you defending the gospel or are you defending yourself? To put it another way, whose justification are you worried about? Yours or even those other people? Check your heart. What's the foundation of the patterns of conflict that you see in your life? For the attacker, guys, when we're honest, we can see that the heart foundation behind attacking is our own self-righteousness and it's our own self-justification, our own self-interest. If you tend to be that retreater, you'll see when you get honest that the heart foundation behind that is insecurity and an unwillingness to find our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. But a gospel-filled heart 
more and more finds its foundation in repentance and forgiveness, not just in ourselves, that we ourselves are repenting and finding forgiveness from the Father, but that we desire it in the life of that other person that we're having conflict with, that we desire to see them reconciled, that we desire to see them repent as well. If you've ever been in a conversation and you heard somebody say something like this, you know, you're just making it all about yourself. I love that Paul shows us a better way here. He's making it about the good news of Jesus. See, freedom in the gospel frees us from self-defense and it frees us from the need for self-interest. Paul seems to understand that his identity is in Christ, in Christ alone and not in being right. You know, this week uh, in the CBR, the community Bible reading, we actually got to read through the whole of Galatians chapters one through six. I hope that was a huge blessing to you if you got to read that this week. You know, the message of the whole letter over and over and over again from Paul is that justification is by faith alone, apart from any efforts or any ability to keep the law on our own. That's why this argument is such a big deal, that salvation is by grace through faith. You can't earn it. The early church had a huge problem with legalists who were coming in and speaking something else. They're telling Gentiles, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to eat only what we eat if you want to be a Christian or be a part of our church. Paul had spent his life, though, teaching the truth that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Paul not only defended the gospel, he also defended the person that he was approaching. He defended Peter. Uh, Look again at verse 14, the second half. He said, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What's going on here? Well, first, Paul presented the issue very clearly to Peter, and he is inviting a response from Peter. Do you want someone's repentance when you're arguing with them, or do you want to just nail them and prove that they were wrong? Um, Do you want somebody's success, or do you just want to see them fail? Do you want somebody's reconciliation, or do you just want justice and to prove that they were wrong and you were right? I love that Paul clearly wants Peter to repent. Um, Paul wants the gospel to go forward. Paul wants all people involved, the Jews and the Gentiles, to be reconciled to one another because Christ has already reconciled them to himself. And we know if we continue through the rest of scripture, we see it over and over again that Peter did repent, that Paul and Peter were themselves reconciled and that the gospel was lifted up and that Jews and Gentiles, even though this was a difficult area, that they grew together in Christ. And we see throughout the rest of the New Testament that these Judaizer wolves either repented of their sin or were kept out of the flock by those shepherds and leaders of the church. So the encouragement is check, check your heart. Check your heart motivation. Is it for yourself or is it for others and for the gospel? Number three, and finally, we are reminded by this passage to remember that Jesus reconciled our relationship to God by the power of the gospel. Look at verses 15 and 16. This is really the foundation behind everything. 
Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Guys, Jesus faced the problem of our sin head on. He didn't owe us anything. He didn't have to do anything for us, but rather than leave us in our hopeless state, Jesus faced the wrong. Jesus faced our wrong, our sin. He didn't attack. He didn't retreat. He brought grace and forgiveness. And it was grace that cost him everything. And guys, it was grace that cost us nothing. Jesus had your defense at his heart. He had your defense in mind and not his own. In fact, Jesus gave himself up for your defense. Jesus was innocent and yet he went to the cross for your guilt and for my guilt. Jesus died for your justification. Jesus died for your reconciliation with God the Father. See, Jesus won the war to end all wars. Remember Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Jesus went to war so that evil would not win. He went to war with sin and with Satan and with death. He was the only one who could because truly he's the only one who is good, the sinless son of God, the only good man that we could find. He conquered sin and Satan and death and he rose again from the dead. He won the war. Jesus made a way, guys, for all people to come to him, whether you're a Jew by birth or a Gentile by birth, all are sinners, all can be saved because Jesus made a way for the family of God. He made a way that every Jew, Gentile, as scripture says, every tribe, every tongue and nation to be saved by putting their faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Jesus justified us. If you can imagine a courtroom where we stood condemned, where our sin was real and the verdict was guilty and it was justified. See, God is the lawmaker and the law is righteous. And when Jesus came, he didn't cancel the law. No, no. Instead, he fulfilled the law on our behalf. Because the truth is we broke the law of God. The scripture says if we've broken even one point that we're guilty of all of it and who among us can say I've only broken one law of God. We sin every day and no matter how hard we try, we fail. We cannot keep the law perfectly. We're guilty. We stand in that courtroom guilty. But Jesus said, I will take that guilt I will step into that person's place. I will take the guilty verdict and the sentence of death on their behalf. And he did it. Jesus, the law keeper, died for us, the law breakers, so that we could have reconciliation with God that comes only through this good news of the gospel. See, on our own, we have a broken relationship with God and we cannot fix it. We are permanently separated from God because of our sin. You know, what's amazing about the gospel is the gospel begins with God's loving movement towards us. 
God takes the initiative, even though he's the offended party. He acted to reconcile our relationship with him. The scripture says, while we were still enemies, while we were still sinners. Look at Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Guys, God had every right to condemn us. God had every right in the world to cut off that relationship, but he didn't. Instead, he moves towards us in grace. Jesus' death and resurrection makes a way for restored relationship with the Father. And this good news, guys, it demands a response. It is not something to ignore. And the response that the gospel tells us about is repent and believe. Jesus himself says, repent and believe. See, our reconciliation calls us to repentance on our part, to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus and his grace. See, God has extended to us the offer of reconciliation and reconciliation comes as we repent and receive his forgiveness simply by faith in him. You know, some of us, some of us have failed in our relationships in so many ways. And as we just stop and think about it, it feels like an endless list of failures. God has made a way. You know, God has extended that offer of reconciliation for, for all of us, whether you see yourself as the attacker or you're, you're the constant retreater, God brings forgiveness. Whether you've sought your own interest or you've only made it about defending yourself, God has brought a way of forgiveness. Today, you can come to him and say, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. Some of us have never experienced that kind of forgiveness, not even just in human relationships, but we've never experienced the forgiveness that comes from a good and loving father. And I want to encourage you, today is the day. You can come to the father and say, forgive me. And he promises that the answer is always yes. You can confess your sins to him, knowing that he will forgive you. He will forget your sin. He will restore fully your relationship to him. It says that you are then adopted into his forever family. You know, if Jesus has reconciled us, then we can live our lives treating others with the same truth of the gospel that says, hey, you know, you broke the law. You hurt me. You offended me. You've done something against me. But Jesus has forgiven me so much that I can forgive you this little bit. Let's take a moment and let's go to that good and loving father even now. Let's pray together.